is a great privilege to be here with you, and I want you to grab a Bible right now and open it up to Matthew chapter 9. Everybody, please grab a Bible and open it up to Matthew chapter 9. I know what it's like to be here in chapel on a Monday morning. I spent four years of Mondays. I used to sit right up there, so I'm just calling out everybody in the general back right bleachers. Uh, you might be a speaker in chapel one day, so uh, here we are. Um, I know what it's like. I came in the fall of 1998, and back then, uh, our president, John MacArthur, he had a health condition. He had some blood clots, and there was a concern for his health, and he wasn't around for the first month, and uh, at that time in the world, there was this President Clinton who had had an inappropriate relationship with one of his interns, and I remember uh, John MacArthur preached Romans 1, Jeremiah 5. And I have never forgotten what he preached. See, I've been to so many chapels, heard so many messages, but what sticks in your mind 18 years later are the texts of Scripture. The speakers will blend in your mind, the topics you might forget, but the Scripture, the Holy Spirit, you will remember things that you hear in this chapel for the rest of your life. I remember one day, John 1.14 was opened up, and I was sitting right back there. And it said that the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us and we beheld the glory, the glory as of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it was like that day in this chapel, you could see Jesus Christ, that Jesus was God. That in Exodus, when it said God was full of steadfast love and faithfulness, now we're saying that about Jesus in John 14, that he is full of grace and truth. And you could see Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do in chapel. We want to see Jesus Christ. We want to know that Christ is all. That's what we want to see. And today in our passage, we're actually going to get to see what Jesus saw. As we see Christ today, we're actually going to get a look through his eyes. When he saw the people, when he saw the crowds, what did Jesus think when he saw people? That's Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Please follow along as I read. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We're familiar with the ministry of Jesus Christ. He's teaching with one as one who has great authority. And many people want to hear Jesus teach. He's doing miracles. He's healing people. Great crowds. He's feeding the crowds miraculously. Great crowds of people coming to see Jesus. Coming to learn from Him. And now, here we get the perspective of Jesus looking at the crowd of people. And what does Jesus see? When he sees a crowd of humanity out there in front of him, it says that his response there in verse 36, compassion is what he has. Compassion. 
It means he feels it in his bowels is the idea of the word there, all right? It's that really bad feeling when you realize you are not prepared for this test or you have not finished that paper or that it's Monday morning and here we go again. That feeling sometimes of terror, of pain, that something is not right. Jesus is feeling compassion in the innermost part of his being because look at the condition of the people. They are harassed and helpless. Those are intense words. They're like, they're like someone beaten up on the side of the road who can't even help themselves get up. These people are beaten up, and who's going to help them? They're like sheep without a shepherd. We know what happens with sheep when they have no shepherd. They go astray. Everyone turns to their own way. Who's going to lead these people? That's what Jesus thinks when he looks at the crowd. He has compassion for them. How are we doing in our compassion for people who are lost? I didn't get into youth ministry for some noble purpose. I got into youth ministry because uh, I, I needed a job, right? Eventually here, uh, you need a J-O-B, everybody, all right? We got, we got to start making some money after this, uh, after this ex- great experience here at uh, the Master's University ends. And I had some extra motivation to get a job right away because uh, I met this girl here at Masters. Anybody else met somebody like that here at Masters? You guys, am I speaking your language yet? All right. One person's in love here. That's great. See, I worked in the cafeteria. I don't know if you know, but there's actually people working back in the bowels of the cafeteria in the dish room there. And so when you think it's really cool because you don't have to do the dishes and you're messing around with your tray and you might as well just make a river of chocolate milk and look at the peas that I don't want to eat going down the river and isn't this fun? Oh, let's move on with my life. And it goes into the conveyor belt. Yeah, I was the guy on the other side there. I was cleaning up the mess of the master's university. That's right. That's me. Yep. Yep. That's what I was doing. And... Uh, it was gross. It was disgusting. It's absolutely hideous. And that industrial-sized washing machine is just burning everything clean. It's just cranking out heat and steam in this oversized closet. And right next to me was this girl. Krista was her name. And we started talking. It was, this was my first week as a freshman here at this school. I met the girl who would become my wife. And we started talking. And at first, it was just cleaning up nastiness. That's all it was, all right? It, it, and uh, in fact, while we were talking, a lot of times, I would have to run out of the dish room because my glasses would get all fogged up as we were talking. And so I'd have to run out and blow on them and then come back in. I was a complete nerd when I came to this school. But we started talking. We started talking about what we were learning in Bible class. We started talking about things we were hearing in chapel. We started talking about how all these people just, some of them we weren't sure what they were thinking when it came to relationships. What was it really all about? Was it about getting married? What was going on? I mean, we started talking about the real things of life right there in the dish room of the cafeteria. And uh, eventually we started to really like one another, you could tell. And I remember the day that right out there in the parking lot between Hotchkiss and Dixon, I said to her, hey, I don't like you anymore. And you could see this crestfallen look come over her face. And I said, I love you. That's what I said. That's how you do it, man. Take notes. (laughs) All right. And we wanted to get married, so I needed a J-O-B when we graduated. That was the plan. And all of a sudden, as I started to think, what might God have me do? And I had some ideas of what I wanted to do. 
But then I started to have people talk to me, people that I knew through the connection here at the college, people that I knew through connections at, at church. And you know what they started to say is there's this huge need out there for people to do youth ministry. People who know the Bible, who could teach the Bible, who care about people. And I started to talk to guys who were wondering, would you be interested in doing youth ministry? There's a whole bunch of people out there who don't know Jesus Christ, and we need somebody to tell them young people are growing up and they need to be taught the Word. And so I started to interview with some churches. I started to study youth ministry, and then eventually I started working as a youth pastor. And I thought youth ministry, one of the preconceptions that I had is, oh, you're just hanging out with the church kids. That's what youth ministry is. You got your little youth group there at church, and you're just hanging out with the kids who already go to church, and we're playing games, and we're having a good time. And here's something that happened to me is I started to actually go to the high schools. You guys remember what those places are like? I mean, I know that was so long ago now, right? We're so much more mature than we were then, right? Just a few months ago for some of us, but oh, how we've changed, right? The high schools. I mean, I would go to the public high schools, started out in Northern California, then down in Orange County, here in Southern California. I mean, we're talking about schools that range from like 1,500 students to three or 4,000 young people on this campus. And you would walk around, and at some point, I stopped seeing them as high schoolers. And I started to see what Jesus saw when he looked at the crowds, and I started to get this really bad feeling deep inside of me. Like, look at all of these people. There are so many people at this school. I mean, if you walk through a high school during lunch, during the, the change in the, in the classes, and everybody's walking around, it's just a sea of humanity. And you started to see them as souls. And who's going to tell all these people the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who's going to come along and disciple? Not just the kids at church. Every single one of these kids at this public high school needs to know Jesus Christ. Who's going to do that? You start, you start to feel just overwhelmed. And you start to, I mean, all you have to do is just listen as you walk down the halls of the high school and you can hear the lostness. You can see these people don't have a shepherd. Who's going to lead them? And your heart starts to softens, and it starts to break. I remember one day I was walking at this school, San Clemente High School, and they had these certain kind of lockers there. They weren't the full lockers. They weren't even the half locker. This school was so overcrowded. There were so many people crammed into this school. It was like the little box locker, just like a little box. And it was in between classes, and everybody's running to their box, and they're throwing a book in there, and they're grabbing another book, and I'm walking by the wall of lockers, all these boxes, and all of a sudden, when I'm walking by this wall of boxes, it reminds me of what I've seen on a TV show or a movie, where it's just a, in, in that place where the dead bodies go, there in the morgue, where it's just all these little boxes with dead bodies. And I'm starting to realize that all these people, that all these lockers are dead in there sins I mean they are going to hell and who's going to talk to them who's going to come alongside of them and disciple them and teach them the things of Jesus Christ and you start to feel this compassion inside of you you start to feel their lostness like it's your problem and you want to do something about it and then you're starting to see what Jesus Christ saw. 
Well, first thing, if you want to write down a couple of notes, one thing I would love for you to write down is we need to see people as souls. That's really how we need to see people. You know, in, in the high schools, in the junior highs, we're so good at labeling people based on how they look on the outside, based on their talents, based on if they're smart or not, if they're good looking or not. We are so good at labeling people based on their external, physical existence. And are we learning to see people for who they are as an eternal soul before a holy God? God that is either still lost in sin or has been saved by Jesus Christ. I mean, we live in a culture, we live in a drive-through culture where oftentimes we don't even treat people as human beings, much less eternal souls, right? I mean, we're going to go and we're going to buy something maybe. We're going to go to a store. Next time you're at the counter and you're checking out and you're doing that kind of exchange where you slide the card and now they want you to leave your card there because of the chip and it's super confusing and you're trying to buy something from somebody, I want you to look at the person that you're buying something from and I want you to think this person is an eternal soul that's going to heaven to be with God or hell apart from God based on whether they know the gospel of Jesus Christ or not. See, we're not talking to a drive-through box when we interact with people, right? I think that's how we really start treating people in our culture, is we start treating people like, hey, uh, I better, like, especially at Chick-fil-A, like, you better get my sauce right, right? I need these, these many of this kind of sauce and this many, and, and then I'm getting frustrated with this person because they're not giving me my sauce. Or at Taco Bell, they're always asking me, do you want hot sauce? Like three or four different times they're asking me, do I want sauce? And every time I tell them what? No, and yet they ask me yet again. And I start to get frustrated like these aren't people I'm talking to. Like they're dispensers of what I want or something. And I remember one day standing there at Chick-fil-A and I did a full 360 and I thought to myself, every single person in this Chick-fil-A is an eternal soul that either knows Jesus or not. I mean, is that how you view people? Can we see what Jesus saw? Do we feel the compassion for the people around us? Look back in chapter 9. Look at verse 27. Here's a specific example of the compassion of Christ. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him. And these blind men are crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him. I mean, these guys are just, they're persistent. They're following Jesus. And they said to and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. So we got two blind guys following Jesus. Okay? And this is, how, this is what has really helped me develop compassion as I think about people that maybe I don't even know or I'm just getting to know that Jesus wants me to love and he wants me to tell them the gospel. I keep reminding myself that the reason many people, the reason we know people, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the reason they can't see that Christ is all, the reason they can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is someone has blinded their eyes. That's why they can't see it. And you really understand what it means to be kind when you're interacting with someone who is blind. You would never think to yourself to say to a blind person, why can't you see what's your problem? That would immediately be seen as cruel. 
But yet I wonder how many times we look at people that are not saved. We look at people that can't see Christ and we don't have an attitude of compassion for them, but we have an attitude of condescension as in, why don't you get it? How come you can't see this is wrong? How come you can't believe in Jesus? Why don't you read the Bible? They're blind. That's why they can't see. And when Jesus encountered people who were physically blind, they called out, have mercy on us, son of David. And he says, do you believe? And they say, yes. And he opens their eyes. And then he says something that wasn't going to happen. He says, hey, don't tell anybody that I just gave you sight. That's what he says to these blind guys. All right, They can now see. Hey, don't tell anyone. They cry out for mercy. Jesus has mercy. Hey, don't tell anyone. Verse 31. But they went away and they spread the fame of Jesus through all that district. Okay, now turn to Matthew chapter 20 with me. Everybody, turn on over there to Matthew 20. And lo and behold, look what's going to happen. Again, we're going to have two blind men following Jesus. And look what they're going to say as they come after Jesus Christ here in Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. And now we are in Jericho, and a great crowd is following Jesus Christ. And we know what Jesus thinks when he sees the crowd. He has compassion on them. And behold, look at this. There were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? Two blind men? Crying out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David? See, the fact that Jesus cares, I think, especially that he cares about blind people, uh, the fact that Jesus is someone with compassion, I think the word is out. I think it's spreading. And here they even know what to say. They say the same thing. And the crowd rebuke them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, what does it say there in verse 34 of Matthew 20? And Jesus in what? What does, he say? What does it say? Pity. What is, what is the word? Compassion. Same word. He has compassion. He touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and these guys started to follow him. What if the word was spreading out in the blind community? What if they were, hey, this guy Jesus, he cares. He is kind to the blind. He has compassion and the word begins to spread. And when people know that you care, they will start to care what you know. That's how it works. And I wonder... Who knows that you care about them? I'm not talking about people we naturally care about. I'm not talking about our family. I'm talking about lost people who can't see Jesus Christ and they don't know that He's all. Who knows that you care about them? See, the world thinks that we don't care. The world thinks that we're over here in our self-righteous condescension because they don't get it and they need to see that we have compassion because we know they can't see Jesus and we want to bring the gospel to them so their eyes will be opened. And his glory will be beheld. But we've got to care. We have to see people as souls. And we have to see that it's up to us to bring this good news of Jesus Christ to them. And I'm here to tell you that you, just by the fact that you are so much more mature now in college, you would have an open door with younger people who would listen to you just because you are a cooler, older person who would show an interest in them. Younger people would flock to you if they saw that you cared about them. They would want to hear what you have to say. 
Not even just younger people who grow up going to church. No, younger people in America right now are so desperate for anyone to care about them that if you care about them, they will listen to you. And you will be able to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ if you love on them. I've been nearsighted uh, way too much in my life. I was born nearsighted. I wasn't born blind, but uh, without glasses, without contact lenses, I could barely see anything. And some people at my church, they really blessed me. They offered to pay for me to have LASIK eye surgery. And if you ever get a chance to do it, go for it. I'm here with no glasses, no contacts here today. And I walked into this room, and I, couldn't, I could barely see anything. And the doctor comes up, and he shakes my hand. And then this lady comes up, and she's just kind of a big blur to me, and she says, right before we're going to do this LASIK eye surgery, she says, would you like a teddy bear, sir? <laughs> and I'm like, is this a trick question? I mean, what, what, is, what, is, what, about, what about this says teddy bear to you? I mean, I don't, I don't get it, you know? And I was more concerned about what anybody was going to think about me. I didn't understand the question. I was like, no, I don't need a, a teddy bear. A few, a few minutes later, when they were burning my eyeball, right, it, with corrective lasers, my hands were reaching for the teddy bear. You know what I'm saying? As I was smelling the smoke of my eyeball being burned, I, was, I, I wanted the, the teddy bear. But I was so concerned about what people were going to think about me if I took the teddy bear that no. See, I've been so nearsighted for so much of my life wondering what people are thinking about me rather than really seeing the people around me. I've been so self-focused for so much of my life wondering how I'm doing rather than realizing there are people perishing apart from God that I interact with every single day. And I want to see what Jesus saw, and I want to care about them. And then look what Jesus says we should do. Go back to Matthew chapter 9, to our text. Because he, after he sees the crowd, and it's awesome that we get the insight into what Jesus thinks when he sees the crowd. But then he says this to his disciples in verses 37 and 38. And this is what he said to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful. Look at all the souls that need to be saved. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers, oh, they're, they're, they're so few. They're so few. Look at how many people need to be talked to. How many people need to have a salvation conversation about Jesus Christ, and yet there's so few people out there having those conversations. Therefore, here's a prayer request for us here at the Master's College this morning, Master's University, excuse me, I'm old school, Master's University this morning. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We need to pray for gospel workers. If you could write that down, that's something that Jesus is saying that we need to do. We need to pray for laborers. What an analogy that there's a harvest of souls and we know the Lord of the harvest. And we need to pray that He sends out more laborers, more people who will see the needs of souls and will do the work of bringing the gospel of Jesus to them. Oh, if only we had more laborers. Because here's how youth ministry works. If you create a group where it becomes clear that we care about people at this group, 
We don't even just care about the kids who already come to church. We care about everybody. We want you to bring your friend from high school. We want you to bring that kid who right now seems to hate Jesus Christ. We care about him too. Bring everybody. See, once you start getting the kids to come, and once kids start getting saved by the gospel, and they start bringing their friends, and they start grabbing their cross-country team, and their volleyball team, and they're bringing their whole team to church, quickly, once you start showing people you care, and people start coming, the question becomes, who's going to lead all of these people that's the big problem whether you become a a youth pastor maybe or or whether you just would serve in a youth ministry man a youth ministry is only as good as how many leaders it has ready to talk to people how many laborers do you have at your youth ministry that's that's how many people you're going to be able to reach how many laborers do you have I mean, as our youth ministry began to grow and as kids began to get saved and they would go and invite kids from school, some of the kids went to their school, they started Christian clubs, they started preaching the gospel on campus at their high school. And kids start coming. And the problem is, I don't have enough leaders to talk to. I don't have enough laborers to sit down with every single individual and ask them, do you know what the gospel is? In fact, go to Mark chapter 1, verse 15 with me. Turn over to Mark 1, 15, where it introduces the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I think this statement really encapsulates what the message that Jesus would want his laborers out in the harvest field. Uh, we need to care. We need to have the love. But what is the truth that we need to bring to the people that we talk to? Mark 1. Look at verses 14 and 15. Here's Mark's summary of the ministry of Jesus. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's proclaiming the gospel of God. And he's saying, here's a summary statement of the teaching of Jesus. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If you could just write that phrase down, if you're taking notes, if you could underline that, I think those are the three most important words in the English language right there. Repent believe gospel there they are that's what everybody needs to do every single soul that you and i know they need to do what jesus says right here they need to turn from their sin they need to trust in jesus christ specifically in the good news that jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again that's we need people who can have that conversation we got youth ministries out there. we got high schools full of young people who need someone who will care about them and will ask them if they know what the gospel is. Gospel, I mean, never assume that somebody knows the gospel, even just because they go to church. Never assume that someone, because they're at the master's university, really understands the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just never assume it, because you will find out as you continue to interact with people that so many people do not really understand the good news of Jesus paying for their sin and offering them a new life through the power of his resurrection. So many people don't get it. If you, if you just went around on the streets of our cities, and, and if you, even if you went to a lot of the churches and you said to people, what is the gospel? I do this all the time. With the young people, I did it. I did it with, with I, asked a, I preached a whole sermon on what is the gospel, and then that week at our small groups, I gave a quiz on what is the gospel. Only 50% of the people in the room could even answer the question after they heard a sermon about it. 
We need to get out there and explain it with people. We need to sit down with them one-on-one, not just preaching it to crowds, but following up in personal ways. Hey, if you're going to turn from your sin in repentance, how can we help them count the cost? What sins are we going to leave behind? What what are we going to put on instead in Christ? Man, if you really believe in Jesus, if you're going to die to your old life and you're going to rise again a new man here, what's going to change in your life? People need someone to come alongside of them and help them think through that. Who are you? helping think through that who are you helping turn from their sin and trust in christ and based on so they can see that christ is all and their life can start to become all about him can you have this conversation with somebody right here see that's what i needed i needed a room full of leaders who could explain to people repentance and faith in the gospel of jesus christ And every single person that the Lord brought into our youth ministry, who we could equip to do that, who we could train to do that, we could give them scripture to do that, we could give them practice, we would go out into the community, we had this outdoor mall down there, and we would just start talking to people, and we would try to get into conversations about what is repentance, and what is faith, and do you know what the gospel of Jesus is? And we would just try to start talking to everybody to learn how to explain these three words to people so they could do what Jesus is saying in Mark 1.15. And every single time God brought a leader into the youth ministry, no leader ever sat alone in the 12 years that I did youth ministry. God always brought young people, lost sheep, for that leader to start communicating to them the good news that would save their soul. Like God wants to use you I mean, you go to, the, dude, if you were at my church, when I, was, when I was a youth pastor, if I found out that somebody who went to the master's university was now attending my church, like it was done, right there. You just signed up for youth ministry the day you came to our church, you know what I mean? Like I was stalking you. Like there was no way. You went to master's? Oh man, we gotta put you right. You don't understand what's going, it's a battle for souls out here. I mean, people's eternal destinations are on the line every day out here. Like, you just walked in the door, come with me. Let me show you five high schoolers right now that need your love and need you to teach them the gospel, repentance, and faith. It was like, it was like no choice. And then some of the people, even the people that graduated from this university, they would be like, you know, this is really hard because I thought youth ministry was just working with the kids who already were Christians, but now we're trying to reach these other kids who don't know a lot of the stuff. Like you say, turn in your Bible, and they don't know where to turn. Like you say basic words that we understand at church, and they don't have the definitions. And some of them, they're resistant. They come from broken families. Like this is hard work. Like it feels like we're doing labor out here in the harvest field. And some of these kids, we love them, we invest in them, we give them everything we've got, and then they just turn and and just disappear, and they act like we're the bad guy for trying to ask them to repent of their sin. Like this is hard work. And I said, yeah, are you ready to do the work or not? This is the work that Christ is calling us to. And he's saying that the problem is there's not enough people willing to do the work. He sees the crowd. He sees their lostness. And here's Jesus' solution. Here's the problem. The laborers are few. The solution, pray earnestly with a passion. We need more people out there spreading the gospel and calling people to repentance and faith. Right now, today, If you were checking out at some store and that person all of a sudden looked at you and said, hey, do you go to the master's university? And you said yes. 
and they said to you, how do I become a Christian? How do I get to know Jesus? Could you have a conversation with that person right now where by the end they have repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ? Are you equipped to do that? I mean, we should be having those conversations. We should be praying, when's my next conversation? I mean, that's what we're here to do. I remember we were at summer camp one time and, and one of the leaders came up to me and they were like, man, this is really tough. I feel like my whole team is people I don't even know if they're saved and I don't know if they want to talk to me and it's just really hard out there. There's so much rejection. I don't know if anybody on my team is, is really going to repent this week at, at camp. And I just remember for some reason I said to this leader who had graduated from this uh, university, I said, have you considered this girl named Emily Clark? I remember saying that. Have you considered this girl named Emily Clark? You should go talk to her again. Don't give up. It's hard work, but people need to hear the gospel. And just like an hour after we had that conversation, she was talking to this, to this young lady, and, and, and all of a sudden they were having this like passionate dialogue back and forth, and I'm hearing the word repentance as I'm walking by the conversation. Emily Clark's sitting in the front row today at the Master's University because she had a Somebody who labored for her soul, see. Somebody who went out there and fought in the name of Jesus Christ for her soul. That's how it happens. The way that Jesus wants to reach the crowds is by laborers who go out on his mission to make disciples. And in the end, how many disciples are you planning on making? And I'm not just talking to the future pastors of America right now, although I hope God raises up some people in the bleachers even who become youth pastors, all right? I'd love to see that. But hey, every one of us, we could be a laborer in the field. Every one of us, we could get out there and we could serve in the youth ministry and we could lead a small group and we could get to know those kids and we could learn to speak their high school language and we could love them. We could send them text messages and follow whatever apps they're doing these days and we could get in there and we could show them the gospel of Jesus and maybe someday somebody you talk to would end up coming to the master's university because in your youth group, you gave them the gospel, repentance, and faith. And I've gotten to see that happen now so many times where somebody, you have a conversation with them and they get saved and then they become a leader and then they go and pass it on and now I've seen it to the third and the fourth generation and you start to see how it works and you start to see that what we need in the youth ministries is we need people who are laborers for the gospel. There's this guy, he just started going to school here. Maybe you'll meet him. He's a guy named Matt Shue, real cool guy if you get to meet him. He's a freshman here. And he went to that San Clemente High School, and he used to be one of those dead souls putting his books into those uh, lockers there. And he came to an event at the church one night, and a leader who also went to this university sat down with him and explained to him how he needed to repent of his sins and put his faith in the good news of Jesus Christ. And he got saved. And he started growing. And he started catching fire. And he started thinking maybe he'd want to go preach the gospel at his high school. And he started thinking maybe someday he'd want to be a youth pastor. And I started getting to know his family. And I started to encourage him. And I got to know his mom, who was super plugged in at the church. And I met his dad. And his dad, he was like just hanging around the church. He wasn't really into it. He was just kind of there. He was a good guy, right? And one day his dad called me and he said, hey, we need you to come to the hospital because Matt's mom wasn't, uh, 
she wasn't doing very well. And when I got to the hospital, she, uh, her skin was a completely different color than normal. And I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And she seemed of good spirits, and she was talking about how our son's out there preaching the gospel at his high school, and we were planting the church in Huntington Beach, and we're out there talking to people about the gospel. And that's all she was talking about was how she wanted people to hear the gospel. She died the very next day. The very next day she died. And Matt's dad calls me, and he says, hey, I need you to go pick up Matt from San Clemente High School. And I need you to bring him to the hospital because I don't think she's going to make it. And he needs to see his mom one more time. And so I go pick up Matt from his school so that he can go see his mom one more time before she dies. And Matt gets in the car, and the first thing he says is, if my mom dies, I hope my dad gets saved. First thing he says right away. And I started to really take that to heart, and I started to pray for his dad. And one day at church, I had the privilege of pe- preaching Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, about how we need to start seeing people as souls. And Matt's dad, this guy named Scott, he heard that sermon, and we were planting the church the very next week in Huntington Beach, and he just decided he was going to show up and be a part of the church plant unannounced. He just showed up hours early before the church service to start helping us set up. And I said, what are you doing here? And he's like, I had a problem. I went to Chick-fil-A the other day and I started realizing everybody there was a soul. And he became a laborer. See, he became a laborer and he started fighting for souls. And Matt's dad got saved. And he joined the workforce. See, the Lord of the harvest right now, the Lord of the harvest is looking over the people here in this room today at the Master's University. And he doesn't look at your outward appearance. No, he's seeing straight through your skin and bones, straight to who you really are. The Lord, he sees your heart. And the Lord of the harvest, he's looking for laborers. And I want to know, when God looks at you, does he see a laborer for the gospel? Are you one of the few? Are you one who is out there spreading the message of Jesus Christ that we all better repent and we better put our faith in Jesus Christ? The Lord of the harvest, he wants more laborers. He wants you to be one of them. And so this week, we're gonna make a plea with you to consider youth ministry. And I'm sure we'll be telling you about some of the classes that you could take. You could minor in this. You could make this your major. You could just take one of the classes. I'll be teaching a class next semester for guys who want to be youth pastors. I'll be teaching a class, Principles for Youth Leadership, just people who want to lead in the, in the youth ministry. But we need laborers out there, laborers fighting for the souls of the next generation. Please pray with me. God, we come before you right now, our Father in heaven. And we hear this prayer of Jesus Christ that we need to pray earnestly for more laborers. And so God, we're asking you, the Lord of the harvest today, to send out more laborers because the harvest is so plentiful, but there's so few people out there doing real youth ministry. I mean, people who are really talking to others about repentance and faith in the good news that Jesus died and rose again. God, we are so desperately in need for workers in the lives of the youth. And so, God, I pray that you will hear our earnest prayer this morning. And I pray that this will be not the last time we pray this to you, but that we will regularly pray for gospel laborers, God. 
And I pray that as we pray that for others, that you will send others out, God, that we would be willing to be laborers ourselves. God, make us these people. Let us see what Jesus saw when he looked at the crowds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.